Ruth chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so. But if you won't, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So, the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today your witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Marlon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, your witnesses. Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Father, we thank you that you work in history, always doing good. Lord, would you show us now? Would you teach us? Holy Spirit, we are open to what you have to say to us. May we listen and respond, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I was um, 
putting my tree up um, a couple of days ago now uh, and uh, uh, reflecting just a few years ago on uh, one of my favourite uh, Christmas present stories, uh, which uh, some of you will probably uh, remember, but uh, uh, basically a friend had bought me one of those words that are carved out of wood that are painted white or different colours and say a different thing. They might say hope or love or whatever. And uh, this lovely friend, Lizzie, who I was at uni with uh, years ago, had bought me one that says live. And uh, she's not a Christian at all, but she said, I saw this, Judy, and I just thought of you. And I thought, oh, that's so lovely. And I was really touched. So I put it uh, in my window at Christmas by my tree, by my Christmas tree, and had it there all Christmas, went off to family, came back. And a friend came round to visit and just said, Judy, you had an okay Christmas? Everything all right with you? And I said, oh, yeah, I had a lovely time. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant. And he said, oh, it's just that you've got evil written in your window. And I just wondered if, uh, if all was well with you and yours or with you were wishing evil on the road, on the street, on the houses and everything. And um, uh, things can look very different which way we look at them. I thought I was being abundant and celebratory and obviously my road thought I was having a, a bit of a meltdown. Um, and, uh, but uh, it, it encourages me and sometimes I've actually taken that when I've been speaking away just to show people that word because actually it's quite a symbolic thing if you think about it as we look at this passage that God is in the business of turning what is dead, what is evil, what is wrong into what is good, what is alive. He's in the business, as this beautiful story, I think, tells us, of bringing bitterness into hope, of turning around our sin into an eternal hope and redemption and restoration through his love. And actually, God is the God of the divine transformation, that we give you our sin, our evil, if you like, that may be a strong word for some of you, but we give you our sin, and he gives us his eternal life. And really, this is where God gets to say, I write the last chapter not only of the book of Ruth but of all of our lives he is the one who writes the final chapter and if you were with us last week forgive me if you weren't but we left on a bit of a cliffhanger moment and uh, we left with uh, lovely Naomi who is uh, now looking outwards looking upwards looking to uh, God to provide for her daughter-in-law they're returning to the house of bread Bethlehem the place that they left behind uh, probably through wrong motives and we'll talk a bit about that in the moment um, but we had in uh, chapter 3, verse 18, we had this cliffhanger moment in a way where Naomi says, and in some translations says, wait and see what will happen now. We have done what God has asked of us. Now let's wait and see what God will do. And how many moments in our lives have we felt that? We've just felt, I was thinking even yesterday, what will you do now, God? Because we can't see it, can we? We, we press pause a little bit between chapter three and chapter four and we just say, what happens now, God? And what does happen really in the story is quite remarkable. It is a story of redemption. There's a, a lovely writer who uh, Tim introduced me to, who's written a beautiful book uh, called A Small Cup of Light, uh, Ben Palapant. Palpant? Is that who's saying <laughs> And um, he, he's written this book really out of his own suffering and out of uh, his own crisis of wilderness. And he says he was looking once at Pablo Picasso's painting where it's called The Blind Man's Meal, where there's a man desperately sallowed and hollowed in face who's hungry. 
and, and begging for bread. And he's blind, so he can't feed himself. And there are teeth uh, marks in the bread on the wrong side. There's a cup that he can't reach. And he sees that as a picture, if you like, of humanity, a picture of a world that has become spiritually blind and we don't know where to find bread. This is a family that went to Moab to find bread and found grief and famine and disaster spiritually. They might have found material wealth, but actually they, they found poverty of the soul, if you like. They found not only death in the family, but bitterness. Naomi said, call me bitter because my life is broken. And this is what he says when he looks at the painting. He said this, and bear with me because it's a long quote, but I think it's worth it. I find this painting a powerful expression of our human condition, certainly mine. I was born dependent, born needy, frail and blind, blind to my own blindness. I tried to play God. I would be sovereign. I would be the redeemer of my own regrets. So the water of life remained out of my reach. And though it feels like I spent every waking moment straining towards it, it eluded me. Though I marshaled my troops, used every tool in one enormous effort to reach the mountains of my own self-sufficiency, I found no living water there. Nothing will quench the dryness of that soul. But all the while, God had called me into a wilderness where he had prepared a spring brimming with water, cool enough to quench any man's thirst. I should have known better. Instead of fleeing frailty, I should have recognised that I have inherited frailty. Now, there's so much in that as I read it that speaks to me. But there is a sense that all of us know that actually the things that we do that sometimes seem futile are often when we turn towards Moab, the place of distraction, the place that says, I will give you what you want in your spirit and you will be satisfied. And it gives us the things of pleasure as Moab did. It purported to be the wealthy place of the day. And yet this family have turned around to go back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And what happens next is a court scene, really, uh, that actually uh, Boaz, uh, who is really trying to save this little family, he's seen them, he's loved Ruth, he's seen her beauty, he's seen her kindness, as we said last week. He's been drawn to her as a woman who is kind, who's been kind to her mother-in-law, who's seen beyond her own pain, and he wants to rescue her. And uh, in this beautiful story, he calls everyone everyone together. He does what the Old Testament would have asked in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He looks to the kinsman redeemer or, or guardian redeemer as Tim read, but the kinsman redeemer who will rescue this widow, who will provide for her, who will be her inheritance if you like. And he calls together people and it just so happens, and again in my life there are so many times where God does this, who should be walking by but the rightful kinsman redeemer, the man that we heard last week, was his role, if you like, to take this family on, the nearest of kin. And he is called to court. He's called to court and the court happens. The elders are called together. And actually Boaz says, are you going to do right by this woman? Are you going to do right? Are you going to take them on? And to start with, he says, yes, doesn't he? He says, yeah, I'm in. 
if you think of Dragonstone or whatever. I'm in, yes. You've persuaded me. I'll take this on. But then he says, oh, but. <laughs> Ruth comes with this. You have to marry her. You actually have to step into this. There's a cost to this. And he weighs up the cost and he says, I'm out. That's too much for me. The cost is too great. I looked to my own estate and the cost is too great for me. And so Boaz steps in and uh, the kinsman redeemer, he says to, to Boaz, you do it. And they exchange sandals, as Tim read, which is a, a sort of really illegal um, contract, if you like, of what they've just done. And Boaz marries uh, Ruth, who he loves, provides for her. They have a baby. And that baby is placed in the arms. I find it a beautiful symmetry to where we began, uh, where Ruth said, call me, ba oh, sorry, where Naomi said, call me barren call me bitter, I'm childless, I have nothing, I have no inheritance, no one to go after me. And there she is, and she effectively fosters or adopts, really. She brings up, it's Naomi, that raises this child. Uh, and uh, that, that's an encouragement to all of us, whether you have children, whether you're grandparents, whether you're childless, whatever, that actually it doesn't always have to work out the way we think it will be. But actually, God, there are eternal eternal things that happen from the choices that we make. And Naomi could never have seen this turn around in the way that actually it ends with her raising this child and the lineage that we celebrate, uh, which leads to Jesus. That actually these people who've been obedient, Boaz does a radical thing. Last week we heard that uh, it was Ruth that was asked to do the audacious thing and going and lying at Boaz's feet. What Boaz is doing here is an audacious move. It's again a move of risk and faith. And I think those two often go hand in hand, don't they, in our lives. Um, <clears throat> Weirs of a church have taken risks and steps of faith very much this year, more than in our history for the last few years, certainly. We've gone out. We have meetings across more sites with Word of Hands, with Bourneville, with Mosley here. And there has been a cost in this room. <clears throat> There's been a cost at Bourneville. There's been a cost because you've had to perhaps do more in terms of serving. But there's also been God's faithfulness and fruitfulness. The stories I've heard and we'll be hearing at the joint gathering, the stories that you, you know about, that actually God is blessing it, even though it's been hard. And I just felt that we need to celebrate that, but also hear God's thanks in it, that it has been hard. But actually, it's worth it for the kind of redemption <clears throat> in people's lives that we're seeing here. Because there is a blindness, as if we think of that painting, there is a blindness in our world that is increasing. There's a darkness that, that we could be fearful of. But actually, we have a redeemer who's stepped in. And what Boaz does, he steps in as the redeemer, and it's a, a strange old word perhaps for us, but the parallels to what Jesus does for us are marked. The kinsman redeemer took on publicly the payment and Jesus did that for you and I. It was a public declaration of intent. When Jesus died on the cross, it was him publicly saying, you can't pay, I will pay. And actually with all of our sin 
And I, I get times, I say even this week, where I just keep hearing a voice sometimes to think I'm, I'm not good enough, where I'm conscious of my own sin again. And we, we're all alike, aren't we? That there's things that sometimes make us think that we're disqualified when actually this is the message that God loved his bride, the church, so much. Jesus loved the bride, his church, so much that he paid that price, that kinsman redemption happened for all of us because we're not enough. All of us would not be able to pay what only he could pay. And why? Why is it that a kinsman redeemer um, can really take us on, if you like, in all our sin, in all of our brokenness? There's a great quote here from David Kuzik, and this is what he says, Jesus, in his glory, his eternal glory, without the addition of humanity to his divine nature, he might have saved us, but he couldn't have been our kinsman. A great prophet or priest would be our kinsman, but his own sin would have disqualified him as redeemer. Only Jesus, the eternal God, who added humanity to his deity, can be both the kinsman and the redeemer for mankind. And we need that saviour, we need that saviour, but we also need that closeness. We need a saviour that's not only going to set us free from our sin, but he's going to walk closely to restore in the way that we see here with Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. We needed both and the world needs both. It made me think when I read that quote this week of C.S. Lewis, it's an old quote, but a good one, where he says in the courtroom to defend Christ, he would ask everyone to say, was he mad, was he bad, or was he, is he God? Because to make the claims that Jesus Christ made on earth in his ministry and in his teaching makes him insane or makes him evil because he's misled all of us here or he is God. And I am so convinced that he has told us the truth. The Bible says God is not a man that he would lie to you. He's told us the truth and that changes everything. That changes my evil sound around to life. That changes our barrenness, our brokenness, our despair, our sin into an eternal hope, an eternal purity. And so there is so much hope in this passage for you personally, for us personally and eternally, that actually he restores their lives, brokenness. If you remember right back to chapter one, Naomi says to Ruth, I'll find you a home. I'll find you a husband or a home, but somewhere for you to belong. And here we are in chapter four with this incredible transformation of God's faithfulness. But there has been obedience along the way, hasn't there? There have been brave, audacious decisions made in faith. And I believe that God is asking that of us still. That we would love to see some of these empty chairs next year full again with that audacious invitation, that prayerfulness amongst us to pray for all those. Maybe even just look around you and think who it could be. Who could it be that comes to the carol service? I was sharing at the first service um, briefly that at the beginning of the year God said to me you take more steps if you remember I had my Fitbit on and God said take more steps and it wasn't just about me walking more with 10,000 steps a day but he used it as he often does in my life to speak to me personally 
and said, what more steps are you going to take? I know we're taking more as church, but what are you going to take? And uh, I joined a book club in Moseley. Uh, Moseley uh, women, they're all uh, very, they're quite daunting in some ways, and their houses are huge. And I go in and I think, oh my goodness, the first time I went in, I thought, what earth am I doing here? And I only knew one of the people there. Um, but when you read books together, you get to know each other extremely quickly. Suddenly, in the first time we all met, we were all talking about our relationships, past and present, good and bad we were just opening up to each other in a way we would never have done in four dinner parties or whatever it was just beautiful and just this week they've not asked me about they know what I do for a living but it's always not been mentioned <laughs> um, at all it's been a few sorries at points but that's been it and uh, they suddenly asked me to explain something about why I was uh, believing in what I did and I explained as best I could and then uh, one of them uh, a friend of mine who comes to the carol service said let's all go to Judy's church Let's all just do it, shall we? Well, they let the Christmas one. Let's all come to that. Can we all come, Judy? When's it on? They've, everyone got there and they've been WhatsApping each other about where to come and what. Now, you'll notice that my part in this is fairly small, really, isn't it? And you're thinking, well, she should have been there with the invitations. And you'd be right. You would be right. I didn't even have any in my handbag, forgive me. I didn't. But actually, by the grace of God, that's what happened. And uh, God's heart for people is so immense that he just wants us to be brave, to be bold, but also to receive his blessing in return. Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, all broken, all flawed. I was reading this week that actually Boaz came from the lineage of Rahab, who was the prostitute uh, earlier in the Bible. And just how amazing that we come now at Christmas time to say we have a saviour and that God used these people. If you turn, if you've got your Bibles, uh, just great to read Isaiah 9, uh, where we look at how that links to what we've just been talking about. And it's a lovely Christmas reading, one of my, my favourite Christmas readings. Just verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. For that time and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I wonder if we could stand together and I'd love to pray for us. Lord, we recognise that like the story of this family, we sometimes have headed for Moab when you wanted us in Bethlehem, where you had a house of bread for us but we chose material wealth, we chose perhaps the distractions of our own selfishness and wandered away from you. But this is a story of reconciliation, it's a story of restoration and the redeeming of our lives. This is a story where we read again that you've not only redeemed our situations in ways that we can't yet see, but you have redeemed our lives eternally. And Lord, you've paid a price that no one else was willing to pay for your church, for your bride that you love. Just as Boaz loved Ruth enough and had compassion on her, you've had compassion on us, Jesus. 
and you publicly paid the price that we could never pay. And so we have a glorious inheritance. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't fully yet know this love that would come and redeem, come and restore, come and take away the secret sin in, in our hearts. I pray that even today, you would know Jesus as saviour, as friend, and as the one that loves you so much that he wants you to know and accept his forgiveness and his grace this day. That this time of Christmas would be a time where you know him for the first time and you see him as friend and redeemer, as the kinsman that is close, but the redeemer that changes the course of history in all of our lives. Thank you, God, that you write the last chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.